This week's Dicebreaker podcast is sponsored by Voodoo Ranger. If you're looking for that perfect companion for a night around the table reminiscing of stories once told, crack open a Voodoo Ranger IPA and roll for sass. Check out the free virtual D&D games brought to you by Voodoo Ranger during all nine days of PAX Online, running from September 12th through the 20th. And for beer news and occasional mediocre advice, follow at Voodoo Ranger on Twitter and Instagram. Voodoo Ranger IPA. Drink responsibly. Live rangerously. Hello and welcome back to the Dicebreaker podcast. This is episode 23. Like 22, but one better or worse, depending on how which way you count. Nobody I am episode 23. <laughs> Wasn't there what? a Jim Carrey film? Oh, the number 23. Oh, God, that, that film's film really so terrible. Bad. Let's not open on the terrible, terrible Jim Carrey film, the number 23. Um, oh. Let's open on introducing the team. I'm Matt Jarvis. I'm the editor-in-chief of Dicebreaker. I'm joined this week by three of the team. I'm joined by Johnny Chiodini, head of video for Dicebreaker. Hello, Johnny. How are you? Hello. Other than thinking about Jim Carrey. Uh, good. Um, when am I ever not thinking about Jim Carrey? No, I'm very well. It's nice to be back on the podcast. Feels like I've been away be for a while. Hmm. It's good to have you here, always. And, of course, we are joined by Alex Meehan, staff writer for Dicebreaker. How are you doing, Alex? Welcome I'm back. I'm back. Yeah, I'm back. I'm back from Don Elm. <laughs> Don Elm? Is that where you spent <laughs> yeah. your holiday? <laughs> Pretty much. If my mum could have her way, I would spend my entire holiday in Don Elm. Uh, no, I'm back. I'm so happy to talk about board games with people who care about them. Darling, I've uh, got a whole week off, so if you need me, I'll be in the cushion section. <laughs> You'll find me next to the parrot-shaped lamps. Uh, <laughs> Of course, running out the team uh, this week, we have Michael Wheel and Wheels. How are you doing, Wheels? I'm good, Matthew Jarvis. How are you doing? I'm, 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 I'm feeling good. Yeah. I'm doing all right, thank you. I did have someone emailed and they were like, you should really you should really refer to Wheels as Michael Wheels Wheelan because it just flows better. And so now I feel like I deliberately have to go against that just to, <laughs> just to make it as awkward I, as possible yeah. every time I introduce you. I can't believe that a member of the Dicebreaker staff would be... <laughs> Clearly going against what makes the most sense for the for the sake of yucks. That is that is not our brand in the slightest. It's Wheels Michael Wheels. <laughs> Wheels Michael yeah. Wheels Lun. <laughs> <laughs> of course, we are not here just this week to discuss Jim Carrey and Wheels' name. We are here to talk about all things board games, tabletop RPGs, and other things what you might play on a table. Uh, and it's been, yeah, it's been an interesting week. But before we get to the news, let's dive into what the team have been playing. Let's go, let's go backwards order. Wills, what have you been playing this week? Uh, so I haven't done much tabletop gaming. I've, ate, I've eaten a lot of sushi, but I haven't done a lot of tabletop gaming. <laughs> However, I have been in prep for something that's coming up on the channel this week, uh, which should be out the day after this goes live, I think. Right? Alien. Alien. Yeah, I, <laughs> I mean, as soon as you <laughs> speak it out loud, good. something's yeah. going to happen. Yeah, yeah. true. <laughs> Hopefully, tomorrow, you'll be able to watch us play the Alien RPG. <gasps> the any award-winning Alien RPG. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've been reading through the rulebook, and it's very cool. I'm not sure if you guys have given it a little dip. I gave a little preview to Johnny as I was like on Slack going, Wow, look at this! <laughs> <laughs> um, but one of my, or two of my favourite things, two of my favourite things from the book that I read. Um, first of all, the way that they do stress. So, if you've played games like Blaze in the Dark... Um, you will be familiar with stress systems, which basically either allow you to do things or force you to do things based on how stressed your character is. 
the way that it works in Alien is really smart because essentially whenever you roll for something you have a dice pool so let's say that you want to um, let's say that you want to force someone to do something by like convincing them or something like that you would use your base stat which is empathy so you've got like empathy, strength all that kind of stuff and then you would add on the relevant skill which in this case I think is manipulation so say that you've got like a 4 in empathy and a 2 in manipulation you've got 6 dice um, but then for every level of stress that you have you add in an extra die of a different colour so it's d6s you add an extra d6 of a different colour which are called stress dice so technically say you're like 4 stressed that means you get 10 dice to roll instead of 6 so technically as you get more stressed your fight or flight activates and you become more efficient and more like ready to do things more quick more desperate and you're actually more efficient than you would be if you weren't stressed however every single die that you roll which is a stress die if you roll a one on any of them you go into panic mode so you become more and more efficient as you go on with bigger and bigger dice pools but you're just teetering on the edge of just breaking which i think is like such a perfect like mechanical representation of how stress works and like based on how much stress you have and where you roll on a table it could be anything from like you get a nervous twitch which makes everyone else a little bit uncomfortable to the fact that you have like full-blown panic attacks and like you're lying on the floor glossy-eyed staring off into the distance and nobody can rouse you out of this like it's it's very very cool and it, i think for a setting where your characters are going to see some traumatic stuff it makes sense for them to sort of put so much onus onto that um mm. the other one that i really like was because you're instead of having like charisma for your social skills you have empathy um because it's how well you can read other humans and stuff like that but being an empathetic person isn't necessarily useful in a high like dangerous environment so if you ever want to um perform an attack on someone who's unarmed so basically to like coup de grace someone or to like shoot someone who's put their hands up or anything like that you have to fail an empathy test to kill them so if you accidentally succeed on an empathy test your character's like i can't do it um and regardless of whether or not you failed or succeeded you take stress because like attempting to or succeeding in killing a human being will always be stressful and i really like systems like that in rpgs where it's like it forces characters to actually behave like real humans rather than just being like i am just a person with a big sword who runs around and kills everything i see because like that person doesn't exist in real life you know mm. i think it's really really cool so a lot of really interesting stuff in there it's very thick with fluff as you would imagine from like a sort of pre-established ip being an rpg book but there's a lot of really cool systems that I'm interested to try out when we do our Let's Play this week. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm really looking forward to it. I think one of the, the most interesting things, because I've, I've been through the rules a couple of times, but not really dived into it. Um, but the fact that it is very specifically like Alien, the RPG, not Aliens. Yeah. And so it's more about the, the dread and the tension of being stalked by, I guess, one or more Xenomorphs. I guess it can be whatever mm. you want. But not you know walking in with a pulse rifle and blasting everything to bits mm. and kind of totting up for acid damage and yeah. things like that yeah i'm, I'm no, really intrigued there's no hoorah <laughs> well i mean no you can you can be a colonial marine but like there's also that sort of like you you're a colonial marine but you're one of a group of people who could be anything from literal children to like you know civvies or mechanics or whatever and you've just been put into this scenario together you just kind of have to work it out and oftentimes you won't be that all very well equipped you know because as as you see in alien the film like most of these things happen when you're not expecting them so it's not like you're going into a dungeon it's sort of you're 
dealing with a thing that has happened sort of thing which makes it a lot more interesting which like, i can confirm set, yeah. you can get in the big servo hauler or whatever it's called <laughs> power loader power loader mm. that's the one power loaders yeah which we've discussed before mm-hmm. we have we yes. have episode whatever it was fight me in a power loader <laughs> mm-hmm. mm. well i would be very disappointed if there wasn't a xenomorph involved mr wheeler so if there isn't i will make sure to not include please. one got it <laughs> <laughs> it was cat the whole time that's the cat <laughs> Uh, excellent. Have you been playing anything else, or have you just been prepping for Alien? No, I've just been prepping for Alien. Just been uh, laser-guided focus, tunnel vision. Mm. Just staring at pictures of the Nostromo in my bedroom. <laughs> oh, you and me both. <laughs> I love it. You made you made it sound like there happened to be some anyway, and so you've taken the opportunity to stare at them. No, no, <laughs> I was staring been, at the I've pictures of the Nostromo all over my wall like a conspiracy theorist. When I look really? in the mirror, I see Sigourney Weaver. <laughs> like when wow! uh, Starbuck turn... goes on that big tangent trying to find the planet, and no one believes it. Anyway, <laughs> whoops. <laughs> all right, uh, Johnny, oh, let's move on to you. Flew by. What have you been playing? Um, I've been playing a lot, like a lot of things, which is partly helped by the fact I wasn't on the podcast last week, so this is kind of a since I was last on. Uh, I've played some Fake Artist Goes to New York, which is still a banger. Yes. Uh, I've been playing The Crew, because when am I ever not? Deadlands, D&D, obviously. I had a game of 40k, which was great, um, and I won, which was nice, even though I got tabled. Um... I played Rallyman GT with some friends, um, which was great. They weren't as into it as I hoped they might be. At the end, I was like, it's great, isn't it? They were like, it is pretty good, yes. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I think it dragged on a bit. We did two laps of 15 tiles, which the game claims is like half an hour, and that's a lie. Um, So I think it's better off. It was so close the whole way round. I I genuinely thought it was really exciting, but I just don't think it landed... In terms of like the amount of time it took up, I don't think they thought it was quite blistering enough. So I think um, a slightly longer race, like 18 tiles but one lap, is probably better. Mm. So, yeah, but I'd, I still bloody love it. Um, and then on the weekend, a uh, friend and I, who are sort of, we formed a social bubble, um, we started off playing Darkness Comes Rattling, which is a co-op game from Weird, back, like the Malifaux people, back when they, you know, actually made board games it's 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 one of those games you get you get your character sheet you've got a power you put the heart tokens on it and it's co-op and you're going around you're hitting things with swords and rolling dice and seeing if you're strong enough to then take on the snake darkness which has swallowed the sun um i remember it being really really good and then i played it and it you know what it is fine um (laughs) we played it for an hour and a half giggling the whole way through because we were like this isn't great um and then we just, at one point, we stopped. It was like, all right, that's, that's enough of that. So we played it for, like, barely even half the game. But we got exactly the right amount of fun out of it. Um, and then we started playing Detective, a modern board game, which, oh, my goodness, is brilliant. Um, it's, uh, like, because, you know, it's it's very kind of Sherlock consulting detective E in which, you know, you, you can choose to, to chase down leads and look at different cards and stuff. But it also, as you kind of try and solve these these pre-written cases, you have a database which you type stuff into. And I know people oftentimes like app-based gaming or whatever, but you go and make an account on the website and you type things in. 
and it meant my friend and I were having these moments where you touch something and you go, oh my god, look at this, <laughs> and you'd spin it round. It'd be like DNA match. Um, and you know what? Like we we ended up playing. Well, we ended up effectively playing three cases because we decided to restart one, um, and like we we genuinely felt like we were hard boiled detectives. We were playing under a single light bulb with a, a noir soundtrack. We were like pacing up and down the room, being like, "We got to get more info on this guy. Like, we got to find out more. We got Chinese takeout. Like, we were working overtime." Um, <laughs> Did someone walk in and their legs went from here to hey there or not? Uh, <laughs> I mean, my my friend's wife did come home, but I like I don't feel it's appropriate for me to make a comment on uh, where I her did. legs begin or end. I didn't um, say who it was. I just did, did no, I know, no valid question. Uh, the answer is yes. Somebody walked in, but that's as far as as descriptive an answer as I'm willing to give you. Um, but yeah, it's great. I, I kind of don't want to say too much because I don't want to you know spoil it, but. Um, it's just an absolute corker. I kind of I've had this box for a while because we got sent it along with the expansion by Rob Daviel, the the Legacy Man, um, and I finally got round to playing the base game. And oh goodness, it's great! And the best, actually, the one thing I will say, the best thing about it is it's clearly written by I think it's written by some uh, Polish people. Um, so like Poland's history kind of comes into it. So you do end up like learning things and stuff, which is great. But you also learn a lot about what Polish people think American cops are like. Yeah. Because you'll be playing and like it's so descriptive. It'd be like you try to go to the lab, you enter the door, you walk across the carpet, then you get into the lift, you pass four doors, three of them are this, and then like randomly it'll be like you stop to get a, a donut and a coffee. The coffee's bad. <laughs> and it's always telling you what you're drinking and how good or bad the drink is, and I love it. We were just pissing ourselves laughing by the end. Oh, see, but. I'm so glad you're on board with it because I, I reviewed it originally when it came out and I really, really liked it. Um, and I felt that the like the writing is like it's goofy. Like it, yeah. it tries to particularly like in the latter few cases, like it, it veers into some like slightly heavier subjects. Right. And but it's not to the point where they like feel insensitive or anything like that. But obviously, mm. like it kind of is a, a bit of a tonal mismatch with the kind of goofyish writing. Yeah, but I never felt like it was like I felt like a it kind of knew what it was going for. Mm. I mean, it's a game called Detective, a modern crime board game. Yeah, which is like as like Ron Seal as you can get about <laughs> a board game that involves you being a detective. Yeah, but I yeah I just I really really enjoyed it. So I'm so glad that like you are in that camp as well. I love it. It's 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 really really very good and it's hard as well. Like mm. um, you can feel like you're making incredible progress, and then there comes a tipping point where you're like, oh, we're nearly out of time, and we know nothing. Like the second case, we found out we we discovered the identity of the perpetrator we were looking for in overtime on the last day. We literally couldn't have left it any later because we just had so many leads to chase down. And we knew exactly what had happened. We just didn't know who. We were like, who is this mysterious person? And then we got the match and we were just like, we've got it. I ended up pointing at a photograph from one of the files um, and calling the person in it a son of a bitch and saying, you didn't die in vain. <laughs> it's, like, it's like, we're going to get this guy. Uh, it's, yeah, it's it's wonderful. Um <laughs> Yeah, I think wheels, wheels. You need to get on on this. I think. Yeah, I, specifically. So I, I've I've read criticisms which you guys seem to be like counteracting here, where it's like, 
the writing is really bad. In, it's in, not. It's not really bad. It's just. It's very. It's of a tone. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think the the reason I love consulting or, or the box of consulting sets that I played so much was the writing was just so fantastic that it was like I genuinely mm. cared about everything that was going on. So I feel like if I played something a bit more goofy, it would be a bit like uh, I don't know. I, I need to give it a go. We've also it's got that great. massive noir thing that's just been sat in the office since like oh, yeah. Dicebreaker started. <gasps> yeah, oh, city it's of... like City of Sin or some angels. angels. Yeah, City of yeah. Vice, there's something like that. Detective games seem to be the the or one of the ones at the moment for board games. Mm. Uh, it's worth saying for for people who are interested in detective. I think there is a new the season one box is coming out soon. Correct. I think this yeah. month or next. Um, which kind of gathers together, I think, some of the ones from the original game, some of the ones they put out for free as print-and-play cases, and maybe some new ones as well. Mm. Um, so if you're looking to get in, now might be a good time to pick it up. I think, yeah, it's... Yeah, what I guess, like, jumping back slightly to defend it, like, when I say good, it's like, it's a B-movie, basically. It's like you're either going to get on board with the fact that it's just a little bit kind of rough around the edges in terms of writing, or it's going to really grate against you in the wrong way. Which yeah, is prob- I think a lot where a lot of those kind of games fall mm. anyway. I um, tend to like, and through entirely my own fault because I love reading things out. I tend to do all of the reading in these kind of games and do very dramatic versions of all the voices and stuff like that. So I feel like if like there's you. if there's so much wasted text of people being like, "You go to the canteen and eat a salad, and it was a bit wet, and therefore the leaves were not very nice," then I feel like eventually it will get very tiresome. We we were giggling all the way through it um, <laughs> because we were also reading it out to, to one another. We were taking it in turns, but we were also doing that hard-boiled detective thing. And there was yeah. genuinely one point, it was like, you go to the lab because it tells you, like, this is going to take four hours. And you're like, wow, four hours of hard police work. It's like, you have to wait for the lab report. You go get a Greek salad. <laughs> and, like, it just, every time it came up, it, was, it wasn't like, oh, my God, eye-rolling. It was more like, wait. <laughs> like, it's, you all came out. That it's... voice you were doing, Johnny, was veering really into Zap Brannigan territory. I mean, for like yeah, part of it. Like, um, yeah, you you put on your velour police costume, but it's we ended up doing that, and it's it's goofy in an endearing way. It's not goofy in a an immersion shattering way. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just it's. I I just think the the raw process of it really counteracts any sort of like any disruption the writing might do because um, we found ourselves because you do have to be quite careful about you know what you go and do in case you run out of time on the case mm. so we just found ourselves sat there and just talking about things back and forth and opening dossiers and be like look at this um, and the thing is you end up talking like like your detectives in a TV show I really felt like I was in a police procedural so I was kind of like pacing up and down while you know like <laughs> Both of the, like my friends got a dog, so like the dogs were just sleeping on the sofa, and it was like, no, shut up, shut up, dogs, shut up, dogs. Here's the thing, <laughs> you know, like it's honestly, you'll, I think it's it's better played with fewer people. Oh yeah, I think it's um, often are these things. Yeah, it's it's one to five, mm. and I can't imagine playing it with more than two or possibly three, because I think then someone's always going to be distracted, and you are going to tip it into just taking the piss. Yeah. But, Anyway, um, yeah, is it's one of my favourite things I've played this year. Awesome. I think actually there is a, if again, if people are interested, I think there is a free print and play you can just go and check out, which obviously, because yeah. a lot of it is on the database, which 
like tying into what you were saying, Joy, it it does look like the enhance like CSI kind of like it, there's yeah. something very nineties about the design of it. Is there a um, scene where two computer experts are counter hacking each other and they have to use two keyboards at once to type fast enough? No, <laughs> but there <laughs> is a card keyboards. where it really tells it tells you exactly how much processing power is behind the search. <laughs> it's like two computer towers spin up and start searching and crunching the data while your laptop also does this because you're you're working for it's basically a private detective agency under the jurisdiction of the FBI mm. which is hilarious it's like i'm in a private corporate police force and that's not morally dubious at all <laughs> um but they've got a lot of tech and they, they really want to describe it to you so anyway i i think it's great so i'm um, Hoping, my friend, and I can play it again this week. I will say, by the way, we we were talking about player numbers there. Um, I think these games are often overlooked when... Because we, I think, as, like, people who recommend board games, one of the questions I hear the most often, apart from, like, what's a good one to start with, is what's a good couple game? Like, detective Mm -hmm. games are fantastic couple games because it's literally just you and one other person just sat down just being like, it can't be that! Think about it! Just for, like, two hours, and it's brilliant. It's, yeah. it's the best thing in the world. <laughs> and you get to argue about something that's real. Get to work out who's the Holmes and who's the Watson. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then who's the Wiggums? <laughs> Wibbles. <laughs> Wib- Alright. Uh, me, and let's roll on to you. What have you been playing in the, well, I guess the two weeks since you were on this podcast? Yes, uh, I have been. <laughs> yes, <laughs> she says opening a briefcase of curiosities. Oh, I don't have a look. Um, I have been playing Sai. Oh no! <laughs> oh yes, it's the Scythe update. Um, I have a physical copy of Scythe now, which is very exciting. Um, my lovely friends bought me a copy uh so now once i can be near other people i can play it and it'll be great uh but i played this game online on the digital version and i came second you know out of three so not not terrible um uh, i was poliana and you know i just guess i didn't take up enough territory or whatever but it wasn't a terrible terrible loss um i've also been playing um uh my my dear mama who likes playing games but she's unsure about all these modern fangled things (laughs) i.e anything after like 1980 (laughs) (laughs) she's not sure about um but she was like, oh, come and play Mastermind with me. I was like, okay, I'll do that. And it was all right, you know. It's like a very, very classic game. I think she had a copy from like 1972 or something. <laughs> Mastermind is like um, the co- code cracking one, right? Where it's yeah, like, it's like rather the than based on the TV series. Yeah, yeah. One player makes a code out of these different coloured pins, and the other player has to try and guess what the code is by you know, making their own sequence and then the person who makes the code, you know, says, oh, you've got this colour right, but it's in the wrong place. Like, these colours are totally wrong. And, you know, it was a, it was a fun distraction. Um, it, it was okay. I think the thing is, I think board games have gotten a lot more 
I don't know if sophisticate is the right word, but Fun. they've like... Good. <laughs> <laughs> it, it wasn't awful. It was, just, it was just very, very simple. Mm. And I think there are similar games to that, like like something like code names, for example, even though obviously it's a word game, so fundamentally it's mm. quite different. You're still trying to figure out a code or a pattern or, or decrypto or something mm. like that. Like you take the idea of, of figuring out a code, but you expand it to something much, much grander than that. Um, but, you know, it, it was an interesting look into history, I guess. Because um, um, I remember the, the telly advert, actually, where I think whoever it is is trying to beat the guy loses, and, like, the master one's like, mm, flips it up, and he just <laughs> looks at him with such a sleazy, <laughs> smarmy look on his face, like, it counts with death, actually. It's like, ah, oh, ah, oh, you're all. No one looks good here. <laughs> I might be misremembering it, Mian, but like mm-hmm. once the the person who sets the code has set the code, like, is yeah. their their job is essentially just going, oh yeah, you got two yeah. two right. Yeah, you're just <laughs> you you don't really take any actions or change anything. Yeah, right? it's no, just like I, yeah, yeah, two of those. I yeah. will say that the person who who sets the code is at a an unfortunate position of being Not rather bored yeah. <laughs> for the rest of the game. Luckily, games usually last about five to ten minutes. So right. Just sit max, back with a gin and tonic. Yeah, well, yeah, I just sat there with a drink and watched my dog snore, so that was fun. Um, I would say, fr- before we move on to sort of the other exciting games that you've been into, Ian, if, if people like liked Mastermind but want to play something that's actually good... Uh, me and Loli's played um, a game called, I think it's Break the Code or Crap the Code, mm. uh, which is actually really good. And it's kind of like you're both playing Mastermind against each other. Uh, didn't we play that? Didn't we, didn't play, we play that, that at lunch? Didn't we? I believe we all played it, yeah. Let me just create. Yeah, Break the Code. There is a Let's Play on the channel if you fancy having a look. But that's actually really decent, so I do recommend that. Yeah, I mean, I think it. The thing is, I don't want to rain on anyone's parade, like, but I think it's potentially set the groundwork for those kind of games yeah. that we see now like um you know you can't you can't run until you've walked and <laughs> i was and just mar- about to say mastermind walked so that break the code could run <laughs> <laughs> yeah apparently it won the spiel diaris that year so there you go my words I, I was on the front of the box <laughs> so <laughs> Uh, that was the box I showed you, Matt Jarvis, with the weird man. Yeah, I mean, they also gave the Spuddy Yaris, you know, pictures and <laughs> some oh. real... Don't. Wow. And that's, that's, I really thought I got year. past that. <laughs> I I did love that 1970s cover with the dude in an armchair, because it was very, yeah. like, Cave Johnson from Portal 2 vibes. <laughs> he did have that kind of aura about him. Yeah. <laughs> now come here, Timmy. You want to learn how to play Mastermind? Well... <laughs> You You're fool! The red was in the other slot. <laughs> you idiot! Oh, I can imagine God. it being re-released actually in like an old school Batman sort of way, being yeah. like, Batman! <laughs> the, the green is raw." <laughs> you have Johnny, is this, gases. Yeah. is this a new Batman villain called the Mastermind? <laughs> the, Mastermind. <laughs> the only thing oh. they do is just play Mastermind. <laughs> I mean, I kind of just assumed it was it would be like the Joker or maybe the Riddler, like the Riddler's <laughs> taking a day off, being like, "Oh, Batman." I couldn't be poor. <laughs> I'm sleepy. Just here, play this. The Riddler, but specialised. That's how yeah. the Riddler sounds. I don't, I don't know. That sounded more like, I don't know, like uh, Crocodile, like Killer Croc. That's his name. Oh, okay. 
Yeah. Please do work no, on it... your Batman villain impersonation. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I met with Nigma. You can call me the Riddler. <laughs> the Riddler played by Ringo Starr. <laughs> <laughs> oh, great. Batman's come to ruin my day. <laughs> I was in the middle of the MS Paint session. <laughs> <laughs> right. Can, I'm, I can't believe I'm saying this. I'm going to get this, this train back on. <laughs> oh, oh, Alex wow. Meehan is getting the train back on track. I know. Oh, one year older. <laughs> I know. I've, I've matured now. I, I don't do any of this silliness anymore. <laughs> that week off was a, was a real character arc for me. Mm, you play one game of yeah. Mastermind. and. Yeah. I, I bought like... Towels. <laughs> I understand. What well, you did holiday in Donnell Mill, so there wasn't that many options. <laughs> Were you playing Mastermind in Donnell? You just, <laughs> just sit down on a table, challenging random strangers. There's not that many board games available in Donnell Mill. You may pass into the lighting department if you best me <laughs> at Mastermind. <laughs> Ma'am, can you please stop sitting on the bath mat? <laughs> oh, great, you've guessed it. <laughs> Is Ringo Starr there as well in Donnell? Yeah, he's everywhere, mate. You can't get Oh, away. that was Brummy. Anyway, I don't know. Yeah, it does slip uh, into Brummy a lot, that one. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah I, I also play Backgammon. I love Backgammon. Backgammon's I mean, it's a, great, it's a great game. This is the way me and said it. Sorry. Yeah. No, no. I, I'm not saying it in a scathing way. I like Backgammon. Because, like, Backgammon is one of those games that's been around for, like, donkey's years. Mm. But it's really good. It's like go or like you know like a classic or chess it's one of those games that that you know endures for god knows how long it's kind of a gambling game isn't it yeah it's yeah yeah. well yeah because i I actually again my mother's set i don't even know when it was made in the stone (laughs) age or something but um it smells musky but um (laughs) musky the 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 rules when you pry them apart um Inside, there was something I didn't realise. Um, there are explicit rules for like when you're betting with mm. the game, like gambling using it. Like, in, I think if you win in a certain way, it's called a, a gammon. And if you win in another way, it's called a backgammon. Mm. And I think it's like if you get all your... your uh, let's call them checkers. I think they're called something specific, but I'm going to call Pizza them checkers. Um, if you get them all um, away into your little cubby um, before anyone the other player has gotten any of their their checkers into their area it's called a backgammon mm. there you go and, you, and the stakes are doubled apparently mm-hmm. of course me and my mum weren't gambling using it. <laughs> gambling towels <laughs> yeah <laughs> we were gambling things with Donnell uh, I had a J. There was actually a JML thing there. Um, <laughs> I will say, uh, but no, uh, I I hadn't played backgammon in years. We used to play it quite a lot when I was a kid, uh, and you know what? It's great. It's nothing supremely complicated. Uh, a lot of it's luck based, obviously, because um, yeah. if yeah, if people haven't played backgammon before or or you know heard how it works. You've got your coloured checkers, so it's a two-player game. Each player has their own set of coloured checkers, and they start on like the opposite corner of the board, and the borders, the board is, you know, separated into four different corners. And you basically have to move your checkers by rolling dice, 
uh, across to your side of the board, um, which is the left side on facing you, um, and away into your little cubby uh, before the other player does. And you literally just do that by rolling dice and deciding which checkers to move to what spaces. And it can get quite nasty. <laughs> my my mum was in a very good mood, so um, we didn't get too dramatic. But... She didn't get the blackjack out. <laughs> <laughs> she didn't write me out of her will. It's basically a race game, isn't it? But you've mm. got like, because you can capture the enemy team pieces. So mm. it's it's like you're you're having a fun race, but also if you don't have a mate with you, you might get punched out. <laughs> yeah, when you get stuck in the middle, and like you have to come on back onto the the furthest corner away from where you start, and if the like the opponent has blocked all of them up with at least two pieces on each prong, you just can't come on. So yeah. they will just roll and roll and take yeah. pieces off and take pieces, and then you've got to get all the way back round. Yeah, yeah. It's very yeah. mean. Very mean. It can be. It can get very mean. Because, like, to get your piece onto the board, you actually have to roll and select one of the dice. Like, like if you've rolled a six and a three, you have to be able to put it either on the six prong or the three prong. Because mm. norm- normally can't... you can combine yeah. them, can't you? But you can't with the ones that come back on or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. But, yeah. yeah. It's, ah, it's a really I good game. It. It's, it's the kind yeah. of thing where yeah. I, like... Because my, my brother, who is a banker, hold for booze, um, was, like... <laughs> was telling me about how much he loves it and the fact that it's actually really popular in like the financial sector because it's one of those like classic gambling games and obviously mm. those people have way too much money um so like but it comes like the set that he has comes with like this square die that you like move onto different faces to show the stake of the bet so i think mm. the game oh. the game isn't just about like who's going to win it's like you get through the game and you can see that someone has a clear advantage so the other person will go I reckon I can still win, so I'm going to raise the stake, and then it's it's mm. basically a sort of like, do you fold and say no, 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 like you're you're really good at this or something like that. Yeah, it's it's kind of a like the high level play is mm. uh, is a is a bit more risky. <laughs> See, I've never played it like that because that requires that you have money. have money exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> also, I'm like I will bet 20p on the Grand National maybe <laughs> when I was like 10 years old or mm. something. But, yeah. What were you going to say, Johnny? Sorry. I was going to say it's also very popular in Thanet because they love a bit of gammon around there. <laughs> Take that. Ooh. Ooh Sizzling. Yeah. Matt, what Sizz- have you been playing? Sizzling like a hot gammon. <laughs> <laughs> oh, hot gammon is not. Oh. I'm just going to pop onto GoDain and see if anyone's registered hotgammon.com. Um <laughs> Anyway, what have I been playing? (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, I've been playing uh, a bunch of digital, like digital board games, um, rather than physical board games, just because that's how my week's gone really. So I've played a bit more of Root Digital, which continues to be extremely good, uh, and it's extremely good version of that game. Um, Cartographers has become my new. I'm going to play this till about half eleven at night, just trying to get one better. Seven, Matt Jarvis. I, I am shocked. I know. <laughs> the witching hour. <laughs> the cartographer hour. The hour it's of now known. <laughs> The hour of map making. Um, cartographers is really good. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's. I've I've moved on. So I was I was playing kind of the um, 
there's they they traffic light it so there's green where it's both the cards and the um the objectives are randomized there's yellow where the objectives are set for everyone that's playing um and then the cards are randomized for each game and that will put you on a certain ranking list and then there's red where both the order of the cards and the objectives that you score points by are set for everyone so everyone has exactly the same thing it turns out i'm crap at pretty much all of them but <laughs> because it's it's one of those games where you score points i think i discovered it last week but you essentially score points there are four objectives and four rounds so you do a and b then b and c then c and d then d and a are the different objectives you score each round but you'll get all these points and so you might score like over 100 points by the end of the game but then at the end of the game depending on the objective cards you had i guess according to their difficulty or just how you know to balance it out they will then knock off points depending on how difficult those objectives are so i'm like oh i'm doing really well i've scored over 100 points and then it will knock it down it's like minus 12 it's like oh wow this is really because if you there are little objectives and it's like score over 30 points and the first time i played i was like this is easy i'm incredible at this game i've already got 60 points on my second round and then it knocked it all the way back down to like two i was like oh right no no i am I'm rubbish at this. Is, is this a this is a digital version of this game? Yes, I believe it may have won some kind of Spieljahrs, or it was at least nominated. Um, so, so technically, you're you're you could have a scoreboard. There could be like an online scoreboard, and you're trying to get on that scoreboard. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So you need to get hot gammon, like. <sighs> You need to get it up there. This is what you're working towards. So you can get that username, like, on the top, top, top. Well, <laughs> oh, you mean my username like... is Hot yeah, Gammon? Yeah, your username will be Hot Gammon for, for cartographers. If it's, like, one of those arcade cabinets, you <laughs> yeah. get three inputs. So you have to be, like, HGM or something. <laughs> Hook <-gum>. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it was nominated for this year's Spiel de Yaris. Um, oh, there you go. Just get it up. Uh, no, sorry, um, Kennespiel. Kenish building mm. uh beaten by the crew which i think is is probably right because i think the crew is a better game overall but i'm really enjoying cartographers mm. uh the other thing that i fit around with only a tiny bit is the digital version of roll for the galaxy um which i've n i know there are a lot of people that really love race for the galaxy and really love roll for the galaxy i am not quite there yet i don't think they're bad i'm just not quite hooked properly i'm kind of like oh yeah this is this is like fun enough but I'm not kind of playing it endlessly. I'm not, yeah, I'm not, I'm, the hook isn't quite in yet, but I'm going to keep playing it because I, like, it's enjoyable enough and I'm kind of intrigued to to see if I can see what everyone else happens to have. The only thing I know yeah. about Roll for the Galaxy is that I've never seen so many icons in one game. <laughs> it's, yeah, so they, they put out um, Jump Drive. I think it's called Jump Drive, a few years ago, which was kind of like a cut-down version of Race for the Galaxy. Right. And it was kind of positioned as like, oh, if you don't want to learn all of those icons, learn these icons first and then kind of upgrade. <laughs> and even then, it was like, this is a this is a lot. And once I had it under my belt, I was like, this, like, it's fine. But that didn't really hook me. But I wonder whether that was because that was a cut-down experience. But mm -hmm. I never... Race and Roll have kind of, like, always been games that are just whatever reason just didn't chime with me so i'm gonna keep playing and see see if it gets there but yeah it, but it seems like a, di a good digital version of that game like it's solid it runs mm -hmm. like perfectly fine like it's pretty clear for all the icons the yeah so if you're in if you're into roll for the galaxy uh it's now out on pc and mobile mm. which well, leads us nicely oh 
I was going to say, well, Matt Jobs, we should play that together. Yes. Then... I have it on mobile. I don't know if there's crossplay, but I'll... it's fine. I'll... I'll pick it up, maybe, and we'll play, and I'll see if it's better with actual humans. Mm. I mean, like, considering I've never played it before and it sounds a bit complicated actual human might be <laughs> I think <laughs> might be giving me a bit too much it's credit, one of those games but... where the iconography is more complicated than the game itself like the yeah, game is yeah. particularly roll for the galaxy is like you roll these icons you use them for the things they do so it's like you settle planets or you get resources or you earn credits but the iconography is like okay what does this diamond mean versus this like slightly other flatter diamond here's an eye here's something else uh, yeah but it's it's yeah, it's it's fun. Once you start wrapping your head around it, it's like this is yeah, I can see where this is going. But, there, there's okay. a sort of similar problem in Comet, which is like um, like a strategy game set in ancient Egypt, and it's got basically it's got a tech tree. So there's like loads of tiles, all with like because they're little square tiles, they have to fit all the icons on them, and then you've got little power cards that all have icons on them. So you have like this basically like this menu that you pass around. It's like you're flipping through the wine <laughs> list, and you're like, ooh, I wonder what I'll have this evening. <laughs> Uh, shall we move on to news? Uh, as I tried yeah. to link off of the news that Roll for the Galaxy is out on PC and mobile, but oh, I put a stop uh, to that. Yeah, yeah, just <laughs> slam the brakes on. Uh, so that's that's the news. It's out. You can go get it. I think it's currently on a bit of a discount, uh, at least on Steam. Uh, I think it's it's ten pounds on both iOS and Android, and then I think it's currently about seven quid um, on Steam. Um, ten pounds. Like obviously, there's development involved and so on, but I I still always kind of balk a little bit at seeing like digital board games for around ten pounds because there are mm. quite a few good ones for you know under a fiver nowadays. Yeah. But mm. like I say, if there's clearly work that's gone into it, you know those developers like their their own time needs compensating, like because it's a whole separate task to making the board game. So if you're going to sink a load of time into it, I think ten pounds you'll probably get your get your money's worth. I always think with like with digital board games. Especially ones like, um, like you see, like the Blood Rage one we played, right? Where there was like all kinds of three D modeling going on, but it was all really like it seemed really rushed and like and quite sort of low quality. Um, but most of the time, especially with things like Roll for the Galaxy, like I don't think it really needs like big flashy graphics and like three D objects everywhere because most most people who buy that will just be people who like the board game and just want a digital version. So I don't yeah. think mm-hmm. like I don't think you're gonna drag in many people. Like who have never played the board game before, unless they're trying to try it out because they want to try it, you know. Yeah, root. Uh, sorry, Roll for the Galaxy is very much like it's flat. It's yeah. kind of there's minimal kind of animation, which is like I was just checking. Root on Steam is eleven pounds, mm. so it's only slightly more expensive. And Root is fantastic. Yeah, and that's a lot cheaper than I think Scythe is. And Scythe, Scythe mm-hmm. again is kind of like fully animated, but not animated to the degree of Root. Mm. So I think actually Root is. Yeah, Scythe is sixteen pounds, but it, it, there it's just kind of like your your piece from the board game floats over and yeah. plonks down on a new thing. It's not like an animated mech crawling its way. Whereas Root mm. is like fully animated models of the animals, and mm. so I think yeah, Root is an extremely good deal. I think like even fifteen quid for Scythe is is a good get mm. Um, mm. compared to the board game. But Especially it's just if you play interesting. As much as I do. Yeah, exactly right. It's it's what you get out of it ultimately. Um, mm. But anyway, news for the third time. Uh, let's uh, roll on with Alex. Me and you wrote this story uh, on your return today about Eric Lang. Oh my goodness! Hot, hot, hot news coming straight at you. 
Um, and then put on YouTube three days later. Sounds like you're launching into some kind of parody of like, yeah. Okay. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, Eric Lang, um, the designer of games like Blood Rage, Cthulhu Death May Die, uh, XCOM, uh, is leaving Come On. He was the director of game design of game design for Come On for about three years. Uh, and he's decided to leave and go off and do his own freelance game design. Um, you know, fair dues. Um, yeah, the, there's not really a huge much more than that. Um, he, he left uh, this year after, you know, uh, doing a successful campaign of Ankh, Gods of Egypt, which is the last game in the Mythic Trilogy, which we covered quite a bit, uh, and Marvel United. Which is a, a Marvel co-op game. They're going to win um, the league this year, I feel it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, the amount of... Uh, Money moves! <laughs> <laughs> the amount of additions in that game are like... Um, what do you call them? Uh, oh, my goodness. The Kickstarter... Oh, like stretch goal things. Stretch or, yeah. goals, my goodness. Um, they can just basically conquer the entire mm. tabletop world. Um, just put Thanos up front and just have him click every now and then. <laughs> yeah, ever since they put Thanos up front, they've been unstoppable, mate. <laughs> oh, Carol Danvers. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, so um, Lang's going to keep working on the games he's already got lined up for Come On. So that's things like the various adaptations of the video game Cyberpunk 2077. Um, there's a card game called Afterlife that he's been making but apparently he's redesigning it now because uh, the first design wasn't up to his standards and he's also doing a family board game uh, called Barge like that's the, the code name Large the barge. The I had to check this it's spelled with three R's so I don't yeah. know if it's like Barge <laughs> <laughs> yeah I don't know whether it's you're barging someone out of the way or it's like like yar there's a barge <laughs> flowing <laughs> up the stream oh god it's Ringo Starr again <laughs> oh there's a barge um, <laughs> also in the the blog post where he, he he's announcing his departure, they just mm. casually drop the fact that Blood Rage is getting a sequel. They just say, "Oh yeah, at the end, by the way, Blood Rage is getting a sequel." I'm like, oh, "What? Like, this seems like pretty major news, and it's just plopped at the end of this blog post." Um, God, I love this industry. Yep, yep, that's yep, that's what you get. Um, no other information is known about it, whether it's called Blood Rage Two, whether it's called something else, what goes on in it, so. Which is weird because I remember, you know, Eric saying, "Oh yeah, um, Ank is the last one." I was like, "Okay, apparently not." So um, I don't know how that's going to work. It might be Ank's the last one in the Mythic trilogy, but Blood Rage mm. Two is the second one in the Blood Rage trilogy. <laughs> <laughs> oh I guess gosh! So. Oh, it's yeah, starting to like hurt my head just thinking about how our database is going to handle that. <laughs> It's Matt, like, so it's part Matt of this trilogy, Jarvis. but also that trilogy, and it's a reimagining of this, and it's a new edition of that, but it's a variation of this. And it's also set in the same universe as that, but uh, yeah, it's board games. you got to love them. Um, <laughs> I mean, it could be that, who knows, it might just be that they're doing a new edition of it, so maybe it's Blood Rage, but they do, they call it a sequel, 
So yeah. that oh, sounds cool. quite substantial. Mm. So inle unless, I mean, technically the Mythic Trilogy is unofficial. Um, so I guess... They can do what know, they want. They can do what they want, really. Yeah. But it doesn't Same help that. me and my database, does it? Come on, have some... Have some have yeah. a bit of respect yeah. for the database. <laughs> uh, yeah, and it's worth quickly noting that so this he, Eric was very clear that like this was amicable. He was like, yeah, yeah it's just no. you know just deciding to go back to. So there's no kind of like hot goss coming out of why he's leaving come on or anything like that. It's, yeah, the only hot here is hot gammon and hot news. <laughs> <laughs> Rhino's wasted in defence. He should be up front. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he Gosh. smashes things. It's what he does. It's <laughs> who he is. Uh, let's move on. There's a very quick one here about Keyforge. Uh, Keyforge has sold two million decks. To um, whom? <laughs> they never get through all of those. <laughs> so it's it's, it's a worth... Batman villain who holds Keyforge. Decks. I'm the yeah, Keyforger. I have all your keys. Your amber or amber or ember. Are you amber? Yeah, amber. <laughs> Uh, so this comes from Fancy Flight, which obviously put it out uh, for those who, as a quick refresher, Keyforge is latest card game from Richard Garfield of Magic the Gathering fame. It's a unique deck game, the only unique deck game. Um, so it's, you it's get a deck, good. it is algorithmically created um, and stamped with a kind of algorithmically generated name on the back. You can't customize it, it is what it is, but it's a unique so there are said to be like multiple billions of combinations so no two people ever have the same deck um but they they keep track of the the total number of decks registered through their master vault app so you can kind of register your specific deck to see like this is how many times it's won here's how many times it's lost you know here's how it's performed in certain tournaments so this is the number of two million comes from that app so there's a very good chance that it's much higher than that or at least a good deal higher than that, because there are almost certainly a bunch of people who don't register their decks on the Master Vault app. So, yeah, I mean, I've got at least ten decks that. Yeah, I can't think of a single one that registers. <laughs> Which is... And those those people should be brought in for justice. <laughs> frankly. No, I'm off the web, mate. <laughs> well, are you coming to the Keyforge tournament? It's in the Hague. <laughs> Crimes against the database. <laughs> Databases are getting a real hard ref in this one. Mm, they are. Uh, but for context, so last December is when it passed 1.5 uh, million registered on the same app. Uh, and it was launched late 2018, so in under two years it's done about 2 million. Which seems, it seems like a lot. It's one of those weird games, Keyforge, because it's... Magic seems to be everywhere, but magic has been around for yonks. And Keyforge just seems to be one of those things that I guess is just burbling away quite pretty well in the background. Like mm. it, you don't, at least I'm not anecdotally seeing loads of people shouting all the time about Keyforge. Like it's a, it's a, it's a neat game. Like I really like it, but it's not like you're seeing loads of fan art. But they also put out like an RPG of it. Um, yeah. they, they're putting out like a collection of stories. Yeah. yeah. So it's yeah. just a, it's a good owner, if, I guess. If, yeah. If magic, if magic is the hot gammon. Then keyboard is stop trying to make hot gammon happen. Keyboard is just a slice, like it's just a slice just sat there. Yeah, it's the happy bareface ham to magic the gathering scammon. Yeah, don't boil the bareface ham in cider and then roast it. It doesn't hold well. 
so yeah, just a quick one there. Uh, let's shift on to this quick one. Uh, Maracaibo, which is the latest game from Alexander Fister of Great Western Trail fame, is coming to mobile later this year. I don't, I don't know uh, why, but like I kept reading that because I'm looking at the news stories and in my head I'm just singing it to the tune of Lady Gaga's Alejandro. <laughs> <laughs> Maracaibo, Maracaibo, a mobile. <laughs> she should do a business deal with them. <laughs> the yeah, she's actually she probably nice the song that plays when you open the main menu of Maracaibo on mobile. Mm. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, it's uh, coming to iOS and Android. They've announced it for so no PC release to date, and they've just said Q4, so it's out. The Q4 is now, right? So it's essentially from now until the end of the year. It oh, might right, come yeah. out at some point. Um, Jesus, we're already in Q4. Yep. Uh, and it's... I haven't actually played Maracaibo. Has anyone played Maracaibo here? No. <laughs> okay. Uh, Stop asking. It's, it's a game about sailing around the Caribbean in the 17th century, trading things. Wow, I've um, never seen a board game like that before. <laughs> forget trading in the Mediterranean. Here's trading in the Caribbean. Um, <laughs> Caribbean. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, it's it's kind of notable for having what they call a standard mode, and then having a campaign mode where you can. I think they layer in different tiles, but you can play in different scenarios across multiple mm-hmm. playthroughs. Uh, and the app will have both because it's quite closely based on the board game. So I'm interested in checking it out. I really like Great Western Trail. Um, I just haven't played this because I haven't really had the opportunity. So uh, this will hopefully be a nice way of just checking it out once it's once it arrives, sometime between now and the end of the year if we make it that far. Um, <laughs> Speaking of the end of days, Warhammer 40,000. This is just a quick, I guess, fun one. Fun in quotes. Uh, Warhammer 40,000 is getting more action figures. Space Marine action figures. Uh, They put the first one out last year, which was an Ultramarine um, in the classic kind of Ultramarine blue, uh, made by Bandai, who do kind of Gundam figures and figures for essentially every anime that is popular i was looking through it when i was writing the story like oh they do the dragon ball stuff they do the naruto stuff Funny. dragon ball match <laughs> now <laughs> they're doing <laughs> space marines um so these are i think the the ultramarine one was a hundred dollars that kind of tells oh you where we're coming God. in on these they're not they're not kind of like your action yeah. man level you know no, 10 quid Joe's. 15 quid uh they stand eight inches tall um which is roughly one inch per foot that an um, a, an actual space marine stands high because they're about eight and a half feet primaris space marines so they're approximately one one twelfth scale um and they're articulated so you can make them you know do whatever you want to do with them say i'm yours to a tyranid <laughs> make, <laughs> make them have tea as mrs nesbitt yeah stick a little hat on them toy story would have been very different yeah. if buzz lightyear had been a space marine it's funny when um, when you did that um when you did that segue there, Matt, people thought, I assume at home, that the end of days was a reference to the lore of Warhammer 40,000. But in fact, it's a reference to the endless commodification of intellectual properties. <laughs> yes, which Warhammer 40,000, no stranger to between Warhammer 40,000 Monopoly and Warhammer 40,000 yes. Risk and Warhammer 40,000 everything. Is backgammon. There a oh, I can't oh. wait for 40k backgammon. <laughs> what would be Jenga? You're just pulling charred corpses out of a tower. Uh, so yeah, so the the two new um, action figures are Imperial Fists and Salamanders. Um, they're both intercessors, so you're kind of like what you think of when you think of a Space Marine. They're essentially that um, Imperial Fist being like yellow color scheme and uh, 
I've already forgotten the other one. Salamander's green. They're green and red. Yeah. So they're from specific chapters and squads and whatnot if you're into your 40k lore. Um, And they come with different hands because that's what everyone thinks of when they think of Space Marines is different hands uh, and bolt rifles and stuff like that. Big boss. Yeah. It's so they can grasp the tea. <laughs> yeah, one with a pinky up is, is included mm. in the box, I think. It's like, hmm, I think mm. I'll swap the bolt rifle for a cup of Earl Grey. Uh, <laughs> Good trade. Good mm. trade. <laughs> yeah. Uh, they don't have a price yet. They are going live for pre order on the 12th of September. They'll be available for one week. They're being made to order, so you won't be able to get them after that. Um, but in this announcement, Games Workshop were like, hey, what other chapters would you like to see? Like what? Are, how else can we get you to give you your money? You know. Um, so I'm sure there will be more because I believe the Ultramarine one sold out pretty quickly, and these will presumably do quite well. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, there we go. Uh, moving on, I'm sure there's some kind of segue I can make with the word Imperium uh, to Imperium of Man. Is that a thing? Yeah, in that's the thing. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the, but the quote-unquote goodies of the. Of the uh... So, there are no goodies in 40k. Well, that's how they write it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but linking off of Imperium, this has nothing to do with 40k. There is a new pair of deck building games um, coming from... So there's there's quite a few names involved in here. So there's David Tursey, uh, who you might know from Anachrony, and various solo modes of a lot of games. Um, there's Osprey Games, who are publishing it, who did Undaunted North Africa and Normandy mm. and various other games. Uh, there is the Miko, uh, who's the artist behind Raiders of the North Sea. Um, and then, so the original creator of this, who is co-designing it with David Terzi, is Nigel Buckle, who is probably the the smallest name of the bunch. Um, I believe uh, he's only put out a single game, um, which was o- Omega Centauri, which is 2014, and kind of like a sci-fi space game. Um, so kind of coming in with this, but... They they look quite interesting. So it's a it's a pair of deck builders. They are civilization games in that you lead your particular civilization through the ages, develop technology, build up your might, that kind of thing. If you played Seven Wonders or Civilization of any kind, you probably know what the score is here. Um, they are like I said, there's there's two packs. They're essentially identical in terms of gameplay, I believe, but each of the civilizations in them is unique. Um, so Imperium Classics. Uh, is let me just quickly double check this on the story. Classics is Carthenians. Uh, uh, I can never say it. Carthage. Carthage. Yeah, yeah, from, yeah, yeah. The, the yeah. folks from Carthage. Yeah. The Celts, Carthage, the Greeks, yeah. the Macedonians, or Macedonians, Persians, Romans, uh, Scythians, and Vikings. So kind of more your historical way. And then Legends is they they kind of put them forward as mythological. So there's Arthurian. Britain, um, Atlantean, Egyptian is in there, despite Egyptian being a real historical, you know, culture and peoples. Um, Morean, Minoan. <laughs> I'm just gonna. I'm so sorry to any historical experts who are listening <laughs> this to this. Article was cringing. specifically made to trip you up on this podcast. Olmec, um, <laughs> Kin, and Utopian. So, mythologic kind of your mythological factions. Gosh, I just can't speak anymore. Um, but they can be mixed together, so you can play any of the 16 factions against each other. There is a solo mode that Terzi designed. Uh, altogether, there's more than 400 cards. Uh, they're out next May, so this is quite a long head heads up on them. 
they are not coming to Kickstarter. So there was originally Imperium was one game uh, that came to Kickstarter in 2018, and the campaign was cancelled because I guess it just didn't have the momentum it needed. And now it's coming out as two separate games under a different publisher, which is Osprey. Uh, prices have not been announced yet, but it sounds like it sounds like there's about 200 cards in each. There's eight factions. It takes about an hour to play with up to four people. So I would suspect it would land somewhere around the region of Dominion. Because Dominion is several hundred cards. Hmm. So I don't, I don't know. That's just me completely speculating. But we shall see. But it sounds it sounds kind of interesting. Osprey have a really good track record. Um, yeah. With both games, games old and new. Hmm. So, And I think uh, the art looks pretty cool. Yeah. It's good color. Hmm. Well, you like too it. should visit the article on dicebreaker.com. <laughs> yeah, yeah they really should. Bloody yeah. crap musicians. I, <laughs> <laughs> I have to say, actually, that is not what I was expecting from a like a history-based game. That is very pretty and very nice stuff. Yeah. So, mm. yeah, I like, give it a look I like, on dicebreaker.com. I like the bearded man's nose. It's very distinct. It, it is like distinct. Yeah, it looks like he's been... He's had a few drinks. I was going to say it looks like someone stapled a sausage to his face, but that's... <laughs> specifically like one of them weeders. Yeah, like yeah. Smoked weeders. <laughs> anyway, let's let's finish off news, shall we? So, anyway, that game looks good, whether Johnny you so like sausages or not. No, embarrassed. I wouldn't say embarrassed. Defeated? <laughs> defeated. Sure, Defe- we'll go with defeated. Resigned. <laughs> Yeah, there we go. I, uh, I mean, not yet, but yeah. Last piece of news: Johnny resigns. <laughs> <laughs> There's your news. I'm outing. <laughs> Flip desk. Uh, finally, on the news list, we have a Kickstarter that's currently up, which is for a game called Votes for Women, um, for which women. sounds really cool in terms of both theme and gameplay. Um, it was launched kind of to mark 100 years since the Ninth Amendment. Sorry, Nineteenth Amendment in the US, um, which nominally made voting legal for women um so it is it essentially follows the 70 years leading up to the ratification of that amendment so it starts with the first women's rights convention held in 1848 and then runs up to um like say the ratification of the 19th amendment in uh 1920 and plays in about an hour uh and it's from it's from a, a publisher that got in touch recently uh, called Fort Circle Games. I believe they've only done one game so far called The Shores of Tripoli, um, which it seems really interesting. It's it's a well-presented kind of historical game, but doesn't sound overly heavy. Um, and this seems to be along similar lines. You're kind of playing cards that represent um, different figureheads in kind of pushing for women's right to vote, uh, as well as events. You can play it either cooperatively, so both of you working to get the passage through the Senate, or one of you can oppose the 19th Amendment and try and basically turn different states for or against the bill. Um, but one of the things I'm, I will... Johnny very, and I are both making the same face! I will be up front and preface this with the fact that I am by no means an expert on this topic, um, but reading through their Kickstarter campaign and um, some of their responses to people in the comment section as well, it seems that they've gone out of their way to A, make it historically sound, and they have been very upfront about wanting to highlight uh, like individuals involved in the push for the 19th Amendment who were both familiar, so the people you would think of if you are into history and know that particular point in history, but also those who have been overlooked. Um, 
including like women of color um, and so on. So it sounds like they've they've really done their research. They're really doing, you know, uh, kind of the the research and sensitive treatment of this you would hope for. Um, and it sounds like an interesting game as well. So yeah, yeah mm. it's it's really cool to see because um, I with these kind of like because I'm looking at the the sort of board which is just a big map of America mm-hmm. um, and normally like especially after like pandemic sort of set them up you get these games where things spread across and that's treated as a bad thing so it's cool to see something where like the spread of a of an ideal is actually the thing that you're aiming towards in co-op which is quite fun yeah um, although i am confused now because america explain because the midwest is is the mid-east i've never seen the midwest mapped out on a map but it's the east of the middle why is why is it made like that oh yeah <laughs> That is... America, explain. <laughs> Just everything west of New York with, is... Get in touch with Michael Whelan. Send me now. America, That's... explain what, what's going on. Why is this Kansas? But this is not this our is Kansas. This is not our Kansas. <laughs> America, comma, explain. Um, uh, yeah, so it's it's the first design from Tori Brown, uh, who is a strategist for progressive and women's issues as well. Um, so again, it's not just kind of being chucked out as some kind of you know essentially quick cash in on the centenary of this amendment passing it sounds like it's it's really being treated in the right way and is coming at things wanting to inform and kind of engage people i think it's quite it's nice to see this because there are so many board games based on various historical events obviously a lot of them are loosely based on those uh and they're often just either things like world war ii or like Mm. you know like you know, stuff that's very combat heavy mm. and, and very leaning towards what we considered like, you know, in like I- I- exciting, like, you know, stuff that they can kind of, you know, uh, run away with. But they rarely consider subjects in historical periods like this, which are, I think, very interesting. I, I studied suffrage in the UK, I didn't su- study in the US. Um, I think when I was studying I thought it was very fascinating because there are so many different aspects and you know figures involved in that particular period in history Um, I think it's probably something to do with the fact that it's not got guns in it and stuff Mm. Mm -hmm. Um, that's why I love um, Kaleika which was made partly in conjunction with the Polish government to teach you about what it was like living in communist Poland in the 80s and mm-hmm. it's a game where you have to queue up to do your shopping mm. yeah. it's, and it's bloody great I was going to say it reminds, reminds me of Watergate as well it seems like there's a sort of yeah. there's a surge of games that are like here are historical events that aren't just based around someone having a bomb yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah. and I'm not obviously I'm not sat here going oh these games with guns and disgusting Obviously, I'm not saying that, but I'm also like, there's a lot of them, and it's quite nice to have something, you know, a bit different. Yeah, mm. absolutely. Yeah. I think it's where, like, board games often shine, right? Because they can engage through the mechanics. So at some point, it doesn't matter if the theme is a little drier. Mm. Yeah. Like, this would be hard to do in a video game, potentially. It would be more of like a maybe over the top management thing. But because you're kind of head-to-head with someone else or there is the the mechanics of cards involved. It's like Twilight Struggle. Twilight Struggle, the take on the Cold War there is more like the influence of something. And because you can have that wider outspread look over the entire globe, 
it doesn't have to be like someone shooting with a gun or like yeah. whatever it may be. It doesn't have to just be staging battles because, mm. like, yeah. you know, in some ways, uh, like um, protests and um, you know uh, conventions and things like that, they were a form of of coming together as a group to oppose something. It's not as you know literal as you know shooting guns at the other side, but it is still a form of of physically turning up and and you know uh, having a presence there to represent something so there's definitely action there mm. like you just got to present it in a way that's engaging yeah mm-hmm. shall we move on to emails email uh, if you've got an email for the dicebreaker podcast you can reach us at podcast at dicebreaker.com or you can find us on twitter at join dicebreaker or the usual places you know where to find us by now dicebreaker.com youtube.com slash dicebreaker come on america send an email america comma explain america explain uh johnny would you like to read this one from uh gabriel please yes uh hello dicebreaker crew my question for all of you is do you have anything you wish tabletop rpgs would learn from the board game industry or vice versa it's always fascinating to me when these two hobbies intersect with one another love the podcast abrasal from brazil and keep up the good work uh or is it abrazo no that's the castilian see where a tail is is an s sound like oh okay abrazo yeah there we go yeah, sorry about it, Brazil, but uh, thank you for the old question. Another, uh, what a good question, by the way. Yeah, there's another apology for pronunciations. Yeah. Um, I would like the board game industry to learn the lesson from the tabletop industry, uh, tabletop RPG industry that not everything needs miniatures. Mm-hmm. Because, oh boy, getting, getting so much plastic and as someone who likes to paint things it, it pains me I'm like oh this game's got lots of unpainted plastic crap mm. yeah mm. It, I, you kind of took it out of my mouth but I think in some ways they can both learn from it's more the the, the big board game and RPG uh, like creators just need to learn that less is more generally mm. like I think a lot of the indie stuff that's coming out or quote indie because everything is indie in the tabletop world but um the, the things that are most exciting at the moment are those kind of compact, you know, it's a rule book that is 50 pages instead of 500, or it's a card game that has 15 cards instead of five, you know, 500. The, like, just learning that you can have a really good kind of focused experience and not have to, like, weigh it down with 200 miniatures or mm. 15 kilos of cards and tokens or whatever it may be. There's a place for those, but it feels like the more exciting stuff, like we've talked about the crew plenty right it's like the crew is a relatively small deck of cards and yet it does kind of such magic things with a relatively small set of rules and set of cards and it's way more exciting than let's say at least 70 percent of the games that have come out in the last year or so yep Mm. i think the two need to become more cozy with one another because there are like examples of where rpgs take on board game mechanics like when we were playing uh, Jongshi the other week and that has a board and like cards that you use to kind of represent um, chores you need to do or, or like effects that you've been given and although you know you can write that stuff down on a piece of paper or whatever I think it does make a difference to have like a board there and some cards and things like that I think the two need to be a bit more willing to 
co coexist and take ideas from one another and you know create like hybrids i think board games and rpgs are so often kind of had their own spaces even though that a lot of people like both and you know play both it kind of feels like the two industries sort of do their own thing and the only crossovers they'll have will be stuff like the D&D board game which is very much a board game like like um there are obviously D&D themed board games like Tyrants of the Underdark but Tyrants of the Underdark is a board game like in no way does it have any aspects of the D&D roleplay other than the stressing itself or there'll be like the the new D&D board game that's coming out I can't remember what it's called is it Adventure's Gate or something like that it's either that or Adventure Begins I can't remember one which the one two. they actually went with in the end um, <laughs> it sounds very much just like it's meant to get people into D&D and again I haven't played it we don't know the specific details but I get the feeling it's very much a you move to the place you roll the die to attack and do stuff like that which I think doesn't really demonstrate the best parts of role-playing, which are the actual role-playing aspects of it. And I think, you know, both RPGs and board games need to, you know, consider their unique elements and utilise them a bit better. You know, have, like, um, oh my goodness, Eldritch Horror is a game that really utilises atmosphere and has some really great narrative things in it. And I think in many ways it does have some roleplay aspects in the sense that you become these characters and there's this big kind of epic storyline around what you're doing and it's a major like draw for the game it's why one of the big reasons why I like playing it and I think even though that you could argue that's probably not directly taking things from RPGs but I kind of feel like it you know it is sort of taking that inspiration so I just think the two need to become more friendly one another with one another take advantage yeah i think um so like it's not something we talk about in detail here but like i I design rpgs and i think the the one thing that always gets me is that there are so many systems that i've seen in all of the rpgs that i've read where it's like there are board games that do this way better and way more fun but because i think uh, rpgs can be so sort of like locked in their own space and and they'll think about thematic things outside of their area but they won't think about mechanical things outside of their area so it'll be like oh i've designed this new system which which means that this works like this it's like that's not new like if you play this game or like this series of games or this genre of games like they've been doing that for a while and they've they've learned a lot of lessons that you could also learn very quickly and easily just by like sampling them out and and like you said me and just like letting them intermingle um some of my favourite uh, RPGs or at least that I've read about even if I haven't played them that have come out recently have been stuff um, that have just been like I really like this mechanic from the tabletop world doesn't matter if it's an RPG or a board game thing I'm going to build it around that so we saw um, Sleepaway for example which has basically like a hidden role mechanic uh, in mm. an RPG which is fantastic or there's um, there's a, a new card game that came out recently a new RPG card game which is built around a deck of cards um which is very much like a lot of the criticisms that i saw of people who are reading it and not playing it was like well that seems quite mechanical and there's not a lot of role play in there but i think it's it's good to remember that mechanical feels bad in rpgs because old games that we've played that were heavy mechanically were using clunky old mechanics that didn't feel fun and there's no shame in having an rpg that's not just completely 
I am my character and that's all I'm thinking about. Like there are mm. ways that you can have fun mechanics that build into the narrative as well. Because mm. a lot of the time the best RPGs that you play will be ones where the mechanics and the story and theme are so completely interwoven that you don't even see a like a divide between them. So a lot of the time you, you do need to d dip into things. Like I hate Dungeons and Dragons combat. I haven't made much of a secret about it. But there are plenty of board games, like for example, um, set a watch which like has a very similar thing where it's like you roll some dice you uh take turns doing abilities and then you get attacked by the things in front of you um and it's like it's very similar to that dnd combat but it's it's fresh it's modern it's quicker it's got way more interesting ways in which people can interact with each other so you're not just saying what do i want to do as a character you're doing what should we do as a team and i think that is going to be the next big um revolution in rpgs if people start learning those lessons and start as is, as me and said converging those two worlds together making it one big cohesive unit because we're going to mm. see some really really cool stuff get get brought out if that's the case mm -hmm. i think mm. the thing is like sorry matt okay um, i was just saying the thing is when i play certain board games like scythe with my friends sometimes i'll just role play in that as as one of the factions mm -hmm. that i'm playing as like if if i'm playing a saxony i will just go around being like i'm going to now take over your sheep farm and there's nothing you can do about it ha 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 like you when you play board games you do like embrace some of those aspects of role playing and like i like why is there there might be already why is there not on rpg where there's dexterity elements to it like where if you like like that like dread is that basically yeah. but like other games like that like that's so fantastic or like like uh, like a bluffing game like Sheriff of Nottingham or something, but you have that, but it's also in a role-playing game where you have to like bluff that you haven't taken something or, or tried to do something where you're actually using physical tokens or something. I just think that's such a cool idea. Mm. And and like there's there's stuff that have sh has shown that it works. I think as well. So like there's uh, I don't know how familiar you guys are with mega games, like where it's basically a giant mm -hmm. LARP, right? Where everyone mm -hmm. turns up. You are just playing a massive board game, but you are also characters in that world. So like, I think the one that most people are most familiar with is Watch the Skies, because that was the one that was uh, talked about by Shop It Down, all that kind of thing. And like, you know, you are representative of countries or, uh, you know, the press or the Pope or an alien race. And everyone is just playing a massive board game, but they don't see the board game. They just see their small circle of it. And that means that it all... Um, you know, all these big gears are sort of turning around each other and making things move and dominoes are falling, but you're just playing a character and having a fun time. And I think that shows that once the mechanics are that smooth, you barely even notice they're there because you're just having a fun time and you you almost think retroactively where you're like, this mechanic's really good, why is my character doing that? Rather than, what's my character doing? What mechanic do I now have to use? And all that kind of stuff. Mm. So yeah, well, yeah it's a very okay. good question, Gabriel slash Gabrielle. That... that is a thing that I really love talking about. Absolutely, Will. Do you want to keep rolling with this one from Phil? Yeah, uh, Phil Saunders asks, Good evening, slash morning, delete is appropriate. I'm very much enjoying your podcasts and painting streams as I paint my toy figures at home. Until I run out of them, they have temporarily replaced the music I normally listen to. When you're painting, what do you have on in the background to help grind through the sometimes repetitive aspects of the hobby? Do you have favourite music or podcasts, or can you paint with a film or TV show on? Really love the channel and keep up the great work. Best wishes, Phil. Um, I really love watching like YouTube video essays when I'm painting. I don't know about you guys, but like 
whenever I see, um, like, there are certain channels that I can't remember the name of, but, like, it will be, like, here's a retrospective on Fallout 3. It takes two hours to watch, and I'm like, fantastic. I'll get some some real good models painted during that. (laughs) Yep, love that. Yeah, that's my absolute favorite thing to put on when I'm painting. I do podcasts in a big way. Uh, I it depend it kind of depends what's around. Like recently, I've been watching a lot of the games done quick stuff. Uh, summer done, uh, summer games done quick, um, because obviously there's a load of fresh ones of those, and I find they are like they're quite relaxing to listen to, and you can pay just enough attention. I struggle yeah. with films or TV shows because I'm very like I have to focus on yeah what's happening. So basically, just chatter um, is what I prefer. Of course. You could also watch. Uh, I some like I very often watch some of our own videos that I wasn't involved in. Oh um, man! <laughs> but it's true. Like you know, if I haven't played a game myself, or you like you lot have raved about a game, and then you know I wasn't involved in the filming of that, I'll watch that because I respect your opinions and I like watching you play. Oh, <laughs> make me feel um, warm inside. <laughs> um. I'm music all the way. I don't really listen. To, I don't really watch stuff because I, I just don't like taking my eyes off what I'm actually working with. Mm. Um, so at the minute, it's either music. I used to listen to Hello from the Magic Tavern a lot while painting, so that's a great podcast. Um, or increasingly, I've been trying to just sort of do digital painting dates with friends. Mm. So they'll be painting, and so will I. And occasionally, be like, "Oh, here's what I'm doing." You know, basically like our our paint streams just offline. Um, so yeah, although I found so I. I got an airbrush last month and it's been great fun but quite a steep learning curve and it can be quite stressful if something's going wrong and I don't quite know why so so far I, I can only listen to lo-fi beats while uh, airbrushing <laughs> I accidentally was listening to metal while doing it and I was like why do I feel like my heart's about to explode <laughs> oh and everything's sprayed I... in chaos black <laughs> yeah <laughs> you need to get some whale song going whilst you <laughs> are you joking <laughs> Oh, oh, Honest, how oh, dare bad, you? Bad, yeah. Ugh. Um, I must admit, I've I've had a lovely afternoon once. Sat down, I was painting the owlbear, uh, <laughs> and I had um, this. I don't know when it was filmed, but this production of Twelfth Night. Uh, that I very much like. It's it's a film, not a production. That's got like Helena Bonham Carter and Richard E. Grant. Uh, and the DVD's a bit dodgy and doesn't have subtitles on so I can't really hear what's happening properly but I kind of had it on in the background and I was painting my owlbear and I was like this is very nice so I often put films on that I already know pretty well that I can kind of just sort of sort of listen to while I'm doing my painting Hmm. yeah it's been linked that like um, I saw an article about the fact that Often, if you're if you're feeling anxious, you'll watch something that you've already watched because then you know what's going to happen. You've got mm. like a an hour or two of, of something where you know exactly what's coming. Yeah. Sort of thing mm. it can be quite soothing. Yeah. My wife and I, have, this is kind of on a tangent. We've watched some of The Simpsons while we've been painting various things, uh, and it's one of those things where obviously pretty much everyone has seen basically all of The Simpsons, mm. or at least all of the good Simpsons. Yeah. And so you'll be watching an episode, and you'll be like, "Oh, I recognise this joke or this particular scene." But I probably couldn't have told you the episode it was in. I just mm. recognize this particular joke because yeah. I now, like, I will refer to it, mm. like, now nowadays, even having not seen the episode in 15 years. Mm. But I'll still just pull it out of the memory banks, like, yeah. right from the bottom, hauling it up. 
but then seeing it back in context is always really odd for me. Mm. Yeah. Uh, but it doesn't mean that I've, I've slowly reverting to being 14-year-old me, where all I can do is now reference The Simpsons, because it's just all I have in my vernacular I wish is I could endless episodes of The Jarvis. Simpsons. I wish I could be 14-year-old <laughs> really <my> don't. <laughs> Listen to a lot of, like, Lincoln Park and Dragon Ball Z <laughs> and read yeah. the Final Fantasy 9 strategy guide again and again you're 90% of the way there uh, uh, Alex Meehan would you like to read this one from Casey oh my goodness uh, Casey asked hi I have a question for the podcast As a you're GM, in the right place <laughs> <laughs> as a GM and when I'm a player uh, when we're playing D&D or other similar fighting setups, I can tell most players get frustrated and or bored when they consistently roll too low to beat the AC of enemies. Any chance on how to keep people engaged in combat and other things when the dice keep betraying them? <gasps> Thanks, Casey. Oh my goodness. Burn those dice. <laughs> Burn the um, combat section of the rulebook. <laughs> just, yeah, I mean, uh, combat in D&D, it, it does have those moments where you're like, oh... Oh, I didn't roll high enough. I guess I do nothing then. Mm. Like that's it's a part and parcel of D and D, and it sucks. Um, so I find a lot of the time, I quite like because especially if I'm playing a game, I just feel like I'm doing the same action over and over and over again because I'm that class and it's what I do. Um, I just like trying to find other ways to make my role meaningful in the combat. Whether that's like, I'm going to run up next to it, and it doesn't matter whether or not I'm hitting it. What I'm trying to do is set up the rogue. Because if, you know, I'm within five foot of the enemy and so are they, they'll be able to do their sneak attack if they're at the right level, blah, 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 blah. Or, you know, trying to find something environmental, like, is there a chandelier? I want to cut the chandelier down mm. from the ceiling, you know. I just find trying to think outside the box with um, with D&D specifically, but also with other role-playing games in their combat, it's just more interesting than doing the attack and hoping you hit the requisite number. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so often, I would just say encourage them to be. I would say if you know if you're GMing, encourage people to think outside the box and then reward them for it. Mm. Be like, all right, well, there's no clear rule for what happens when you hit someone with a chandelier, but let's do it like this. This is a great plan, so you know I'll do the um, saving throw at disadvantage or whatever. There are ways to to make to make D and D combat interesting again. There, I said it. <laughs> There's, I think oftentimes the most frustrating part of those combat encounters usually comes because you've just hit something with a sword or something like that, because mm. it's it's so binary of just like, I do the thing, nothing happens, great, now I have to wait for five other people to take their turn. So try and like just make the most of your turn, I guess. Like like Johnny said, just think up a, an interesting thing, or like look at your spell list or your ability list and see if there's anything interesting that you could do to shake things up a little bit. But yeah, that's that's my main thing, especially for D and D. My other piece of advice would just be play a different system. If if you're running into that a lot, then maybe D and D is just not for you. I think with yeah, I mean similar to what you both said. Like as DM as well, it's it can be a slippery slope. But if you feel combat's just dragging on, just kind of cheese it a bit. Like mm. knock a few hit points off, or just allow something to happen. That because ultimately, if your group's not having a fun time, just move on from it, or you know. Or find a way of making it interesting again, like Johnny says. I think, like, Dungeon Breaker has shown, as anyone that's seen Dungeon Breaker, every time I try and hit something with a mace, I completely biff it. I don't think I've hit anything with a mace. It's like I the mean, mace is made of, like, rubber. Either, so. It's like hitting people with a baguette. It just doesn't seem to do anything. 
Whereas, so now I'm just in this constant loop of trying to think up clever ways to basically use Fematergy again and again and again. Because mm. I don't have that many spells. Because I mean, that's a big problem with a, with a lot of RPGs, particularly D&D, is when you're in the lower levels, it can really suck. Mm. Like combat, it's just boring because you're essentially... You're, you're rubbish, but so are the enemies. So you're just trying to kill a hundred rats. And it's... <laughs> trying to kill a hundred rats is really boring. <laughs> We've been here for 16 hours. There are still I mean, 35 rats remaining. <laughs> Never pick a fight with a hundred rats. That's, that's, that's the yeah. moral of the story. just reminds me of like playing Morrowind where you just yeah. like the miss sound over and over and yeah. over again. The, the lower <laughs> levels of, of RPGs like, like D&D are often boring anyway, particularly with combat because even like spellcasters you don't have a lot of options available to you with spells because you don't have a lot of spells. Um, it's why I play. I often um, play classes like bards and such because they are useless in combat for the most part, apart from support. But they're hilarious if you just don't play combat like you're supposed to. Mm. Just like just bend around the rules when you're playing. Even like if you're not playing a character like a bard, like I just think that. Again, it might be that your challenge ratings could be off. Maybe, maybe you're putting enemies that are too hard. Maybe like put put like easier enemies if you want the combat to go quicker or something. Or maybe just put less combat in there if if you're finding combat mm. boring. But um, yeah, it's not fun. I've been in that situation where you are either the the GM or you're the the player, and you're just sat there while someone's trying to slice a I don't know. Cannon. Yeah. <laughs> or or some sort some form of 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 orc or whatever or yeah. <laughs> The trouble with I, a gammon is, right, low AC, <laughs> easy to get rid of, but it's like a hydra, like, there are just mm. so many more of them, it mm. just seems like two more of them pop up in place and start making really uninformed yeah. Facebook posts. No, you know I... what they say, every time you slice a gammon, a spawn of ham, uh, a spawn of slice of ham appears, you know? Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's a difficulty. Now I'm imagining a, f- a fighting scenario where there's just loads of hot gammons falling from the ceiling. And they keep falling on top of you, and you're like, "Ow, that's really hot." That's this a is really a very hot, hot gammon. Gammon. I'm remembering. Yeah. I'm remembering this forum post from a while ago, where it was like one thousand US Marines versus one stick who would win, and someone was like, "I just break the stick in half," and the guy goes, "Well, now there's two sticks. <laughs> <laughs> now there's two gammons. <laughs> Got to um, drown him in pea soup. It's the only way." <laughs> I will say. Um, if you if you really hate D and D combat, if you're listening to this, and you really hate D and D combat, but you, you just want to stick with D and D. Like if you look at any other role playing game, or not any other role playing, if you look at a lot of other role playing games, like for example Blades in the Dark, you'll notice that they don't really have combat rules. They will just have health. They will have weapons. Weapons will do certain things, maybe, but a lot of the time they will just harm someone. A lot of the time it's up to the DM, and it can be very free flow. Like you don't have to roll for initiative. You don't have to mm. use AC if you find it boring. Like you can just treat it like you would any other thing that you were doing in the world. Like charming someone and stabbing someone can be the exact same type of test, and you can just not, you know, limit yourself to having to do D and D combat. It's up to you, um, or just play a different system. <laughs> yeah. Uh, with that, I think that's time. Mm. Uh, so thank you for your emails and questions all of those who wrote in as I say if you have a question for the team you can reach us at podcast at dicebreaker.com 
before we leave you, let's look ahead to what's coming up. Let's throw it over to Johnny Chiodini. Uh, huh. Video with the... If, it, video. The <laughs> video. Nailed it. Um, yeah, well, gosh, there's just so much. As Wills has already mentioned, we have got... Um, a game of Alien the RPG coming up. Uh, next week we have got some uh, something, some stuff on Magic the Gathering. We'll be having a very special session. I believe the schedule should have been announced by the time this podcast goes live. So I think it's fair to say that on Saturday the 12th, as part of um, PAX Online, we'll be playing Cyberpunk Red with Cody Pondsmith. Mm-hmm. Um in a direct sequel to the um, to the session we recorded at PAX Unplugged last year. So um, that is going to be tremendous fun. How do I know? We've already recorded it, and I'm editing it. <laughs> oh, so boy, oh, boy. <laughs> it's, it's a lot of fun. Uh, and I'm going to go out there and say that we did, like... We do possibly the worst thing I've ever seen anyone do. It's really you say, you say we. we. <laughs> well, I don't I don't wanna I don't wanna give any give anything away. I'm afraid um, on, on the last podcast I did say that I did something truly horrendous in this one. Well, <laughs> you just shortened right. wheels yeah. to we. Yeah, great. We've we've got so in conclusion, Matt, we've got we've got some terrible behaviour from wheels and some yeah. videos coming up. What's coming on on the site? Business wheels as usual. Uh, coming up on the site uh, by the time you read this we will have an opinion piece on Shogi which is kind of like the Japanese cousin to chess um, Mm. by Michael Leopold Weber who yeah I found it really interesting reading through his thoughts um, on kind of going from chess to Shogi kind of the differences and why it might be worth checking out even if you've never heard of it Uh, we also have we already up on the site as of today although that doesn't make a difference if you're listening to this uh, we had a feature looking at the kind of troubled history of Dark Tower, um, which if you were a kid in the 80s, you may remember as an exciting board game that came with a big electronic hunk of plastic in the middle. Yeah. And lit up pictures and mm. threw, I think, it threw tiny like little balls out and things like that. And the advert featured also oh, well. Yes, it did. Yeah. Um, and there is obviously the, the remake coming up, a return to Dark Tower. Uh, and kind of going through the history of why it vanished, how it came back, and what you can look forward to in the new one. Uh, so, yeah, I would read that. It's a really interesting kind of dive into some of the legal legal battles that go on around board games and the difficulty of such. Um, we have, as always, uh, the regular news. Uh, so if you're looking to find out what's coming up, you can find it on dicebreaker.com. There's the usual lists. Uh, so recommendations of this week we've got a list of the best at games workshop games that aren't warhammer so kind of everything you need in one box and much much more coming up as usual along with announcements of what we what else we're doing at egx digital and pax online which will be taking place from september the 12th to september the 20th Uh, so if you're interested in joining us for some of those some of which are live some of which are part of the schedule uh, we will be all across that show we have a yeah, we have a lot. It's exciting times, um, but if we look slightly more tired than usual, that's why because yeah, we're mm. we're busy. So we look slightly yeah. more tired than usual. That's impressive. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, I will say that the cyberpunk play that that first session I've said before was one of my favourite times mm. ever playing an RPG, and the second time we played has also shot right up there. Oh, so I think now on. 
it's like if Cody could just join every RPG session I ever have because like he's a consistent ingredient in all of them so far so yeah it's a always a treat and it yeah wheels I yeah yeah we'll leave you with that um so thank you once again for joining us wheels oh thank you very much for having me mr Chavez. thank you for joining us johnny (laughs) thanks for being here me and wheels away Uh, I've been Matt Jarvis. Until we meet again next Friday for the next episode of the Dustbreaker podcast, have a lovely day. Bye. Bye. Bye.